Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Internet Marketing. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 67 of Internet Marketing, brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. And in today's show, Kelvin interviews Jakob Nelson, the king of web usability. All coming up in Internet Marketing. I know you've, you've been involved in the world of web usability since pretty much day one. Do you think generally it's improving as time goes on? Or is it getting worse as kind of more sort of distractions come in, you know, kind of Twitter feeds, RSS feeds and the like there? Do you think it's getting better or worse, do you think? Oh, that's actually a great question. I I think if we look at individual websites, I do think it's getting better. Uh, There are fewer of some of the most blatant mistakes that were common 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Just to mention one, uh, splash screens that really annoy users and Mm -hmm. all they look for is the button that says skip intro. And we saw this in user testing a lot 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And today it's very rare we come across those, at least for, for, big, um, mm-hmm. for big companies. Um, and also I think, for example, search has gotten much better. So I think mm-hmm. there's, there are many, many signs of improvements. Uh, on the other hand, I think you pointed out that the internet as a whole has a lot of problems in in ever more increasing just volume of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, so all these new feeds, for example, we actually did, did a study recently on, on feed-based or stream-based uh, media formats. So things like Twitter fo- postings or Facebook postings and those type of things. And um, the finding there is that, that users are often quite put off by companies that put too much tweet too much or, or put, put too much stuff on Facebook because they mainly view it as a kind of a personal communication channel mm-hmm. and then they get overloaded. And of course, the same is true even more so for email. And email still remains, I have to say, the, the most important communication channel for just reaching out yeah. to, to loyal customers in forms of newsletters and promotions and stuff. That said, if you overdo it, you then mm-hmm. turn them off. So it's really a delicate balance and that balance is not really upheld in the total. I mean, certainly some, some people do it nicely, but, but in total, users are just being barraged. And so as a result, they're developing these kind of defense mechanisms. Uh, and, and the same happens actually with advertising. 
because banner advertising is not working very well. And we've known this for, for more than 10 years already. Mm. Actually, I think 13 years. I think I published <laughs> about this in, in 97 that that ads didn't work well in the web except for search ads and classified ads. But banner, banner ads anyway don't work so well. And so as a result, they're getting to be ever more aggressive, like overlaying web pages, having huge, you know, moving videos, which can be done, you know, technically better now, but in terms of user experience, more annoyingly now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it is interesting that you say that. It's like, yeah, things have moved forward that there are, um, per, you know, perhaps a lot of those problems you saw initially are, are in some cases being solved, but then others are coming up that are, you know, creating different problems, but still kind of making the user experience more difficult for users. And really that, you know, you would hope in this day and age people get a little bit more sophisticated than what they're trying to do with the web, really, I suppose. Exactly. And and again, there are, there are things that are getting better. Sometimes it's the design getting better. Sometimes it's the technology getting better. So, for example, in the early days of the web, we had a lot of <clears throat> problems with uh, download times being very slow when people were dialing up on modems. And today, most people are connecting through more of a broadband connection. And so... They tend to get most web pages relatively fast, but there are still some sinners out there <laughs> that just make the pages even even bigger. Yeah. So even with the faster connection, they still take a lot of time. But the main problem, though, nowadays is not so much, let's say, uh, big graphics. It's more um, sort of more fancy elements, more programmable elements that just take a very long time to mm. appear. So, for example, we did a, a user test recently of a site that had kind of a slideshow mechanism on the homepage. And it took like about three to four seconds to download. And you would say that's not a long time, but it was not enough time for the users to actually not look at that part of the page anymore. So we did this as an as an eye tracking study so we could tell where people were looking. Mm-hmm. And they would look at that bit like just at the top of the page. They would look at that in the very beginning of the visit to the visit to the page, which is what you would expect. But at that point of time, there was nothing showing other than a big yellow rectangle, but no, no mm-hmm. content. So people like look once in this big colored block and say, well, this is not interesting. Mm-hmm. And then Scroll they start, down, yeah. Exactly. So this entire thing was supposed to be the main promotion got, in fact, zero attention because it took like three seconds to appear. And interestingly, talking of um, loading time, you know, as a you know, search engine optimizer, it's interesting that Google recently have sort of explicitly stated that they're looking at page load times now as a bit of a ranking factor. Um, do you think this is kind of Google finally catching up with that kind of web, you know, trying to make, like you say, the experience more positive? Or do you think that's kind of just a selfish, re- you know, reduce the cost of their infrastructure? Because if the pages are quicker to load and that there's less load on their, their servers, as it were. No, I think it's actually a, a, a good thing. Um, I think what, what Google is, first of all, Google has actually always understood that speed is of the essence. I mean, Google is one of the fastest sites on the mm. planet to, to appear. And you'll even notice that they say how long it took to do a search. And I actually once was discussing this with Larry Page, and I kind of said, well, you don't actually have to put this stuff on the page because if it's fast, people know it's fast. You don't have to tell them it was fast. But but he actually said, well, I still want to have this, how many, like it took points, two seconds to do the search, because that's for us internally something that keeps it being a primary of primary importance that we are speed, speed, speed. Mm. And so they've actually always done that themselves, being very speedy. And that, I think, is one of the reasons for their, their great success. Um, 
But what Google also needs to do is, of course, not just be fast, but also give you good results fast. Otherwise, yeah. it would be no good. Giving bad results fast would kind of not be very useful. So they need to give you good results. And in sort of the early days, I think good results really just meant a relevant sites, a sites that were about your problem or your question. Mm-hmm. But I think today we've moved on past that to also question how well do these sites serve users in solving their problem? And so we need to know not just is this a highly ranked site in the sense of having sort of in theory valuable information mm-hmm. or highly rated information, but is it also when it helps users acquire this information? And, and again, it really is the, the difference between kind of theoretical or hypothetical information and true communication so communication is what gets through the skull of the user. And, and, and we know that speed is one of the great criteria there because if it's very fast to navigate a site, like every time you click on a link, you just get it, mm-hmm. then people actually navigate more. They find more. They understand more. The more you have to sit and wait, the more your short-term memory just degrades. You know, I mean, that's just a ca- basic characteristic of human psychology is that our brains don't hold mm. information for very long. It just fades very, very quickly. So even like 10 seconds to move between pages means that when you arrive at the next page, you've forgotten a little bit of what you had on the previous mm. page. And so therefore, you will be less successful in using the mm. site. So, so anyway, back to your question. No, I, so I really think it is a very valuable thing to rate sites for speed when you decide how high up they should rank on the search results page. And I mean, one of the the hugest success stories of the last couple of years in terms of the web is is Wikipedia, really. And I know that you you kind of you have a reputation for your particular style of design, kind of a, a sparse textual design. You, right. you know, you have a reputation for, you know, which seems to do quite well. Do you think that um, you know Wikipedia's success has got a lot to do with that? Because to me, as a kind of I'm by no means an expert on usability, but I can see that there's definitely a similarity in styles there between between you know the two approaches. Well, exactly. I, I would say I, I think Wikipedia probably could use a little bit more graphic design and, and be a little kind of prettier, if you if you will. But it actually is, it's great confirmation that the the visual appearance is not the main criterion for success in the web. Uh, I mean, comparing a, an ugly and a pretty site, the pretty will be will do better. But what really what really what you compare is a useful site versus a useless site and the mm-hmm. useful one will do better. Or a site where you can find the information versus one you cannot find it, the one where you can find it will do better. And so those are the important things in the web. Uh, people don't really go to websites to admire them or to look at them, except maybe some art sites. But generally speaking, you know, you go to a site to get information and to solve your problems and to buy stuff. So if a site makes it easy to find the stuff and if it explains it well and has just good information, good answers, good prices too, of course, mm. then that's where you'll buy, that's where you'll read, that's what the site you'll use. And mm. you'll return to those sites too because they gave you good service. Um, and so it's really is a matter of if you have like kind of a fixed bag of money in your budget, where should you spend that money? Uh, you should spend it on good usability, good content, good navigation, good search. You should also spend you know, some on getting a, a nice layout and a, and a good visual design. I would always say go and hire a good graphic designer. 
but you shouldn't lavish on that. You shouldn't make that your prime criterion. Um, and I think those sites that emphasize kind of some of the bare bones design quite often tend to be among the very most popular mm. ones. And yeah, I mean, to, to go about that kind of bare bones approach, I, I read an interview with yourself in, in Business Week talking about um, CEOs and Twitter. And I, I kind of agree with you with the point that it's difficult for them to communicate with their um, you know stakeholders in 140 characters where potentially you've got quite a lot going on there. But I wonder what you make of the kind of Spartan um, design to a certain extent that... Um, that Twitter use in terms of rather than being complicated like Facebook or many social sites, they've tried to keep it relatively simple. Do you think that works quite well? Or do you think that Twitter, because you've got that constant stream there, kind of any benefit that they get from being simple, they lose because of the sheer volume of content that they've got to deal with? Well, I think actually both are true. I I mean, it, it has great simplicity in certain ways. So as a user, as let's say actually as an author or somebody who contributes to Twitter, you don't really have to do any design, any just like go in the little box and type in, you know, one or two sentences and you're done. And so this makes even lower demands than having a blog mm-hmm. where you actually have to write kind of postings and think about a little bit of maybe tagging or something like that. Twitter is just pure write a piece of text and you're done. No design whatsoever. Um, and that makes it easier for people to just post anytime something comes to mind. And that, again, makes for a great flow of, of content there. So that's one of the reasons they, they have become so popular. And, and because there is so much content, again, it means that very often your friends will be online because it's not such a big burden for them as it would be to run a website. Mm-hmm. And so you can keep in touch with your friends better on Twitter. Uh, but if we think of it from a from more of a, company perspective, more of a commercial use of the Twitter, then uh, you get into trouble because it's very hard to find anything there. It, it has atrocious findability, no real structure to it, uh, no way of saying, let me find all this type of companies or uh, even if you just want to search for a company, you know, quite often it, it, any random other thing with the same name or similar names will come up. You don't know which one is the official feed. Uh, I mean, they're trying to actually address some mm. of those type of questions with approved names and stuff, but it's not very good in the more bigger scope of of of, of things in terms of usability. So, and of course, the the um, limitations on the posting size, mm-hmm. the famous 140 characters, uh, it drives more traffic because it's easy to just post a little throwaway comment. It also drives less thoughtful comment often. Mm-hmm. And, and this goes back to what I actually said to Business Week in terms of should it be used for more kind of strategic communication? And there the answer is no, because if you are the head of a company, particularly a big company, your job is really to communicate the vision. And that requires a little more you know, than yeah. you can do in a, in a tweet. So it's good for news. It's good for sales or last-minute offers. So there's a lot of of business use of Twitter, that's fine, mm-hmm. uh, but not so much. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So kind of that more strategic or in-depth type of communication. And I know over the years you've had um, an interesting relationship with Flash and, you know, you were quite critical at some stages, but you've worked with them and, and the like since. I wonder what you made of the kind of recent, um, you know, argument that's being put forward with HTML5 and Apple not using Flash on their devices and HTML5 for YouTube and the like. What you felt the future was like um, for, for Flash as kind of a web web language, as it were. Right. I really think that that there are two separate problems and the one is what's appropriate use of multimedia on the web and the second one is what technology or language should be used to provide that mm -hmm. and so going to the first which is actually my main interest which is the user experience what is appropriate multimedia that's where flash was being abused so horribly mm -hmm. 10 years ago and I mean, like the the, the intro screens and yeah, the, splash pages oh, are, are a nightmare. From, yeah, yeah, and and all the like, so many animations that didn't have any value other than annoying people. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, there's still some of that to this day as well. And I think that's one of the reasons Flash got a, a bad name. On the other hand, it could also be used for good purposes. Like mm -hmm. for example, it had a very nice way of of, of promoting videos, showing mm -hmm. videos. So for several years, Flash was the main way of doing doing video, and video has, well, that can also be abused, but video has a lot mm -hmm. of good uses on, on the internet. Um, and also, there's all, it was also a way to build certain forms of smaller applications uh, that was also could be, add a lot of useful functionality to websites. Or even, take a case like in e-commerce, the ability to have multiple views mm. of a product. You know, you can't hold the product, you can't touch the product, but at least you can see multiple views, not just one photo. Um, so that can be done poorly in terms of like the incessantly spinning view, mm. which is not useful, or it can be more like zoom in or see alternate angles, which which can be be good. So anyway, so so I think the useful or good use of Flash has been in the increase over this last decade and partly because you know I did run a big campaign against <laughs> it when it was at, the, at its worst and, uh, and, and did get, get to some agreement with them that they wanted to emphasize more the, the good uses. Now, then there's a second question of how should you implement multimedia in Flash or HTML5 or let's say some third technology mm -hmm. and uh, I think there Honestly, I think the reason Apple is so much against Flash is more that it's not something that they control. I don't yeah. think that it's really a, it's not because Flash can also be used poorly because you can use HTML5 poorly as well and mm -hmm. put 
terrible videos or terrible things on on your site and it's done in in apple's you know preferred technology so the technology doesn't really drive whether the user experience is good or bad mm. that's determined by the content design and the visual design and and and, and what you choose to do with mm. that technology and i actually think that flash by now is is pretty mature i mean in the old days we also had these problems that it would would tend to crash more and so forth and and mm. that i don't think happens so much anymore it still happens a little bit but you know i think it's actually a pretty decent technology mm. by by now also another problem with flash in the early days was accessibility so for users with various disabilities would have trouble using flash content and that has also been been solved so um, today I think it's really just uh, Apple being kind of envious of, of <laughs> the success of anybody else yeah no it's strategic rather than because it's actually something for the good of their users there so I mean you've been an advocate of um, web usability for you know for, for you know 10 15 years now do you ever find it frustrating that you know so many people take so long um, to implement these things that you know, to, your, to yourself and a lot of people within the usability community seem common sense and that there's the, the data there from eye tracking and testing and all the like that proves that it doesn't work, yet still web developers go out and charge their customers and implement these bad practices. Completely. I, I find it very frustrating and, and I think that why make... I mean, why make old mistakes? At least make new mistakes. I mean, yeah. if if you want to try something new, that's fine. Uh, it's always dangerous when you try something new because it may it may go well, it may go poorly, and but you can then test that, and maybe you'll be lucky and do something new and wonderful. But doing something that's an old mistake that's been documented for ten years to be wrong—that I think is just stupid. I mean, that's just a waste of everybody's money to spend resources putting things out there that's just going to discourage your customers from using your website. And, and yet we, we see that so, so much. And, and uh, you know, in, in big things and in small things, like the bigger things that really keep really irking me is, the, I think, the bad communication, like, mm-hmm. like not accepting that the web is a customer-driven medium. And so tell people the information they need. So in, in the area of business-to-business or B2B, it's so common for websites to be completely vaporous, not have any concrete information about the products or services, particularly the price. We've done a lot of studies now with B2B customers, and they say, like, when they go to a website, tell me the price. I want to know, is this, you know, a cheap little package and it's going to cost me, let's say, 10 pounds, or is it a, something that costs 10 million pounds mm. and it's only for really big enterprises? Well, um, Tell me, and, and they know that the exact amount of money that they may end up paying at the end might be determined more by negotiation or by special pricing and so forth. Mm. But just give me the rough idea is something that users really, really want. And mm. yet, still nobody does that. And that's kind of, those are some of the bigger things. Like I actually communicate in a customer-driven way. Um, understanding this is not an old one-way media form like like uh, television advertising where you just kind of make a look good. Oh, look how nice we are. Mm. This is a two-way medium and people go there, go to your site for a reason with a problem, with a request, and you better answer that. Mm. So, so this, for so many years, a lot of companies still don't get that basic, the basic, basic characteristic of the web. And then there are all the small things too. And again, 
I've written about them so many times. Mm. Like just one that really comes to mind is that uh, in preparation for for our conference in London here in mm. a few weeks, we I did a a study of the three uh, British big parties email newsletters yeah. before the election, mm-hmm. and and so how do you sign up for these new le- newsletters and stuff? And a lot of them violate so so basic criteria. Like for example. Um, you're supposed to tell people how often they're going to get the email so they can mm-hmm. judge, you know, do I want to get a weekly email? Do I want to get a daily email? And some people want the daily. I mean, there may be very big, mm. huge interest in politics. Others say, I want some information, but not too much. Mm. And they don't tell any of that in advance. What happens is that people then get discouraged from wanting to sign up because they fear, and actually rightly so, as it turned out, in some cases, that they would just be inundated with email and then mm-hmm. they don't want to do it. Or something that I wrote about seven years ago is that don't have a link on a page that links to this, that same page mm-hmm. so that when you click on it, nothing happens. This yeah. is very confusing. So never have a link on a page that links back to that, that same page. Mm-hmm. And yet, Two out of the three parties made that simple mistake that mm-hmm. I said I've been documented for at least, I mean, I know mm-hmm. I wrote about it seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and so for at least seven years, and plus it's just common sense too. Yeah. But I know for a fact that I wrote about it. So mm-hmm. for seven years or more, this common sense thing has been well known. And yet two out of three big political parties in the mm-hmm. UK make that mistake in an important election campaign. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, <laughs> it just keeps going like yeah. that. It's just amazing. Yeah. And I mean, even to go on that price one, coming at it from a search perspective, I know on a number of projects I've worked on both, you know, as client projects and personal projects, there's search volume for those kind of terms as well. You know, like, um, you know, people are searching for what things cost, as it were. So, you know, cost of, you know, consultancy service or whatever it is, people are searching around those terms. So you there's a search opportunity there by, you know, being clear about it it helps your users when they land there they you know they can understand what they're what you sell but also you can get new customers who you wouldn't have got otherwise just by being upfront about that as well so completely uh, come the more the clearer you are the more people will both come to your site because you're going to use the vocabulary they're searching mm. for and secondly if they do come they'll also tend to stay because they find what they're looking for mm. um and and it's very common again it Actually, it's both in B2B and also in the more consumer-oriented marketing. Mm-hmm. It's the same actually finding that when people get at a site and it has this kind of vague information, you can't really understand what they're mm-hmm. doing, people say, oh, let, let me just get out of here. And then they go to the next one on the list. And, and that, I think, is a really important thing about the web is that the, the predominant use of the web is that people go to a search engine, type their problem, get 10 answers back or 10 potential answers back mm. plus the ads. So maybe in total about 15. Uh, and they t- tend to start from the top, which is why it's important to rank mm. high. But, you know, if the first few ones don't have the information, then the third or the fourth is going to get the business. Yeah. And so being clear is what will ultimately drive the business. Yeah. And so, I mean, I know my entry point into your work was your, you you know, your book about homepage usability. I know for a lot of our listeners, usability might be a relatively new subject to them. Um, Is there a couple of your books or books that you've read of people in the industry that is a really good sort of entry point to usability if you've kind of never really come across the subject before and you'd like to learn a bit more about how you can, you know, make your website work so much better? 
Right. Well, I mean, I certainly would like to mention my own books. My, my most recent book that just came out a few weeks ago is called Eye Tracking Web Usability. Yeah. That's about how to use eye tracking studies. But to be honest, that's actually not my, my main recommendation mm-hmm. if people wanted to get kind of more of an introduction because this is more like the second book you should read with some yeah. of the more advanced findings. So my recommended book is really the one um, – that's called prioritizing web usability mm-hmm. because that talks about the priorities you should have as implied by the name and and the most important things you should, that you should fix on your site. So that would be my recommendation for the first book. Then maybe at the second one, go and read the eye tracking book mm-hmm. too if you if you have time for two books. And I know you've got a conference coming up in London um, in a couple of, in a couple of weeks' time. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Is that Yes, that's called Usability Week 2010. So that's going to be in London uh, mm-hmm. on the 16th to 21st of May. And we basically have a lot of different uh, one-day seminars about a lot of different topics. And some of them are some of the really basic ones. I think like I think everybody should do user testing, for example. So we have mm-hmm. a day that teaches you how to do user testing yourself. So you don't have to go and hire you know, an expensive consultant, mm-hmm. even though we would happily do it as well. <laughs> but you know, we, we, we try to teach people yeah. how to do it themselves. And we also cover things like information architecture, how to write for the web, uh, brand tone of voice online, those type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, something I think is really kind of more of a, uh, more of a newer things like how to take social features and, and integrate them with a mainstream website. Mm-hmm. So not these kind of you know, tweet and what you had for lunch, but rather how can you do it in a useful way for, for business. And, and finally, I think one thing I think is really exciting to me is that uh, we've done a lot of studies of, um, of, sort of the newer generation of mobile phones like, okay. like the iPhone and so on. And so we have an entire day on, on how, to, how to design for the iPhone. Okay, really good. And is is that just in London, or because I, I saw on your website it, it travels around, or is London kind of one of the last last ones internationally on that side of things? It is. We're also going to be in San Francisco in June, and then in Toronto and Canada in August. So we do mm-hmm. cover a few different places. Cool. That's great for the you know the listeners out in Canada and and, and America there. So no, Definitely. thanks for that. I um, really appreciate it. Hopefully, um, for the listeners, that's a great introduction in terms of some of the things you should be thinking about from a user experience side of things. And yeah, hopefully you've learned a lot there. Thank you. That's great questions. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on the internet at www.internetmarketingpodcast.org where you'll find show notes, links, and instructions on how to subscribe. We would absolutely love to get feedback, comments, and questions from you. If you want to send an email, send it to kelvin.newman at sitevisibility.com. Also, feel free to comment on the website. And if you'd like to use our voice line number, if you're outside of the UK, it's plus four four one two seven three two five six one five zero. If you're inside the UK, it's o one two seven three two five six one five zero. And you can leave a voice comment or question, and we'll play it on the show. Also, we would absolutely be delighted if you would give us a, a rating on iTunes itself. Well, that's it for now. Andy White signing off until next week on Internet Marketing. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.